Welcome to the Students of the Word podcast coming to you from the studios of the Memphis School of Preaching. We're happy you've been able to join us today. I've got three guests in the studio. These are all third-year missions students of the Memphis School of Preaching. I have with me Prashanth from India, Ramondo from Jamaica, and Caleb from South Africa. Gentlemen, welcome to the Students of the Word podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the instructors at the Memphis School of Preaching. I'm going to introduce our topic to you, and then we'll open it up at some point to our panel of students for their comments. For an individual to come back to God, he must approach God. Approaching the throne of God for forgiveness and restoration requires confession and contrition. One approaching the throne of God with confession and contrition can have confidence then that God will provide forgiveness. For our discussion today, we're going to focus on the importance of confession by briefly examining Psalm 32, and then we'll turn our attention to the necessity of contrition as we take a look at the 51st Psalm and then wrap it all up with a discussion of the confidence we have in God's forgiveness as we take a look at Psalm 130. And as we go along, we'll also be going over to the New Testament to show that these principles apply under the New Covenant as well. Psalm 32, verses 1 through 2, speaks concerning the fact that the one who is forgiven is one who is blessed. In just a moment, I'm going to ask Prashant, if he would, to comment on these first two verses. But let's take a look at them here. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. So God looks upon men, and he is able to see those who are living for him, and he counts them as righteous. He is also able to see those who have turned away from him, and he's able to account them or impute unto them iniquity. He counts them as those who are in sin because that's the way they are living. But this verse says those who have received forgiveness for such are blessed. Prashant, do you have any comments on this yeah, verse? Particularly when we see uh, Psalm 32, here the writer mentioned Three words particularly when we see about the confession. Forgiveness comes to those people who have sinned and transgressed and also who are in iniquity. The three words, transgression, iniquity, and sin. So David also did the same thing, and he never pleaded uh, how great I was and how I was able to do a lot of things, what you have commanded to me, God, but he's pleading, he's pleasing God, and he knows the greatness of God, and he is confessing his transgressions, his sin, and also his iniquity. And he's not mentioning a particular sin, what he did, but he is confessing overall his life that he was a sinner, and he is ready to go to God for his sin. And those people who received the forgiveness, they were blessed. Uh, it's, a, it's a great verse, I think. In Psalm 32, verse 3, the psalmist says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. 
So David is saying here that as long as he refused to confess his sin before God, it wasn't doing him any good. It was hurting him. It was as though his bones were growing old. It was as though he had lost all of his vitality and strength, and he knew the hand of the Lord was heavy upon him. But then, when he acknowledged the sin, when he confessed that sin to God, he received forgiveness. Ramondo, would you like to comment on the forgiveness David received after having confessed his sin to God? Yes, um, thank you very much for um, allowing me to comment on this particular passage. First of all, um, I would like to express my great appreciation for the Psalms in general. They always say that, you know, when you read the book of Psalms, you could actually see yourself in it because the Psalms speak about things that, you know, everyone would, would go through, sometimes on a daily basis. And uh, I'm sure this is no exception. As long as we are humans, as long as we are striving to serve God faithfully, there would have been times in our lives when we would have had things to confess to God. And uh, so the psalmist here um, is pouring out his, his heart um, to God, and he is really saying, you know, God, this is what, what's happening, and um, I would really like you to intervene in my life and want to just pour out my spirit to you. Um, I would also like to um, comment on the fact that this psalm, at least in some part, I think was quoted in the New Testament and uh, was uh, applied, I think, to Christians in general about the, the forgiveness that we would receive when we were in the church under the new covenant of Christ. And so it really is very encouraging for Christians to read a passage like this. Um, the Bible speaks of David as a man of high standards and of a man who had God's own heart and how he was loved by God and how he loved God. And so when we can see ourselves on the same level with him, that, that is indeed very encouraging. Well, I appreciate those comments, and uh, it is very encouraging to know that we can receive forgiveness from God when we absolutely do not deserve, nor can we ever earn that forgiveness. It shows the great and tremendous love of God. Caleb, I'm going to take a look at a couple of passages in the New Covenant that show this to be the case. 1 John chapter 1 is where we're going to go first, and then we'll go to Hebrews chapter 4. And once we touch on Hebrews chapter 4, you're certainly welcome to make some comments if you would like. Look at 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there is the idea of confession expressed and the importance of confession to God of those sins if we are to receive forgiveness from God. In Hebrews chapter 4, you have a context where the writer is telling us that we can most certainly fall away from God in such a way as to lose our salvation. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1, the Bible says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. He goes on to say that because it is possible for us to fall short of our rest, which is our eternal reward in heaven, we need to do this, verse 11 of Hebrews 4, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. 
The Word of God, verse 12, is the standard by which we determine whether or not we are faithful to God. God sees everything, verse 13. But know this, verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Verse 14 uh, through 16 is a beautiful passage. Verse 16 says, we can come boldly under the throne of grace. The word boldly there means to speak openly, to openly confide, to openly confess. When you and I want to receive grace and mercy from the throne of grace, we come before the throne openly, freely, speaking concerning the sins that we have committed and our desire to be forgiven. And that ties into the idea of confession. Caleb, do you have any comments you'd like to make? So David set an example for us in Psalm 32, and David put all this, these things into practice that we're reading about in First John as well as in the book of Hebrews to openly confess. What I like about in First John 1, 9, it's the word if. And so God is willing to forgive us if we confess our sins. And this goes against um, the, the, the thought even of Calvinism where, um, you know, irrespective of what you do, you have salvation. Uh, you cannot lose it. But these verses clearly tell us is that it is possible to lose our salvation. So there are conditions to keeping that relationship with God. And those who do not confess, if we look at First John 1, 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So many times those who do not confess their sins think that they do not have any sin. So David, um, tying uh, David's confession of sin, his openness of sin, knowing that if he confesses his sins to God, that God will forgive him, is a great example to us to emulate as well. It is a great example, and it's also very encouraging. Psalm 51 is perhaps one of the most powerful and encouraging psalms regarding the forgiveness of God. It is a psalm that was written by David concerning the fact that he had committed adultery, and in his efforts to hide that adultery, he had been involved in murder. He was hiding that until Nathan the prophet revealed it to him. Of course, we can hide nothing from God. When Nathan the prophet came and revealed the fact that God knew what he had done to him, everything came collapsing in on David. He was crushed by the strength and weight and power of his own sin, and he wrote Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, David confesses his sin to God, and he does so in such a way as to make it very, very clear that he has committed sin. He's not trying to minimize it in any way whatsoever. He says in verse 3, I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. And then speaking from the perspective of the child that was born to that adulterous relationship, behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So David is making it very, very clear that what he did was evil. What he did was wrong. What he did was sin. And he is not trying to minimize it in any way whatsoever. David also asked God for forgiveness of sins and uses a number of different terms. 
In so doing, he asked God to have mercy upon him. Verse 1, according to your loving kindness and according to the multitude of your tender mercies. This idea of God's loving kindness and a multitude of tender mercies as it relates to our receiving forgiveness persant is a very important idea. Would you like to comment on yes, that sir. idea? Uh, particularly when we see the situation here where David was in. David is not hiding anything to God, but he never knew what is going to happen when Nathan met David about this, and then he trying to confess everything before God. And particularly when we observe this situation, David tried to depend upon the love of God and his mercy and his kindness. He is not showing himself as an example and tried to plead God for forgiveness. He's asking his mercy, God, you are the one who can. So that kind of an attitude that he's showing towards God and fully he is confessing. And second thing, he is expecting uh, forgiveness from God, from his mercy, from his willingness. Uh, he failed himself and he's trying to uh, regain the faith and also uh, mercy from God. He was the one who received a lot of blessings from God, he know, from his childhood. But when he sinned, he loses everything. His uh, confidence also he lost. But now he's trying to plead God for his forgiveness, and he's totally, totally depending upon God's mercy. That is what we also need to learn. We need to depend upon the mercy of God and His greatness, not because of our greatness we can get or receive a salvation. Ramon, I'm going to take a look here in Psalm 51 at some of the other expressions David uses in pleading with God to forgive him for what he has done. And once we've looked at these or mentioned them from the text here, if you would like to comment on those, that'd be great. So David is asking for God to show mercy, and then he also asks God to blot out his sins. In verse 1, blot out my transgressions or my rebellion. In verse 9, blot out my iniquities. He also uses the idea of washing and cleansing. He says in verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be made clean. Verse 7, he says, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And created me a clean heart, verse 10. Verse 11, don't cast me away from your presence. And verse 12, please restore to me the joy of my salvation. What thoughts do you have concerning David's pleading to God for forgiveness? Ramonda? Yes, um, this psalm is one that you know is loved by many and um, has been quoted so many times. And uh, at times it is probably one of those psalms that many people misunderstand in particular, when it speaks about um, being sheep and iniquity and and um, being born in sin, and so there are many people who um, take this passage to teach that you know we are born sinners and um, there's nothing we can do to gain our salvation. It is a sort of a a very famous passage, especially when it comes to Calvinism, faith only and uh, predestination and all those. Um, kinds of, of doctrines from different denominations. However, in this passage, you know, David is speaking, he's, as I've said, he's pouring out his heart and he's really telling God what is happening in his life. He's asking he's asking God for, you know, his mercies, for his forgiveness. He's really 
looking within himself and he's um, trying to show the, the, the great need that he has for God. He, he speaks about being purged with hyssop. And, uh, of course, the Psalms, they're sort of a poetic um, writing. They're not really speaking in, in literal language. So David is really saying, I want to be clean. I want to be cleansed of, of this sin that I've committed. And um, that's what he is really seeking after from God. He wants God to really give him some relief. And in, in pouring out himself, he no doubt would have received at least some form of relief from, from whatever he was going through. So yes, this this passage is really very encouraging and is really enlightening and it sort of helps one to not only look within but also to look to God whenever we are faced with challenges, with difficulties in our lives. Well, you mentioned Psalm 51.5 and as I look at it from this text here, I can see that David is in that section of Psalm 51 where he is confessing the sin and making very clear that what he has done is sinful. And so this is from the perspective of the child who says, In sin did my mother conceive me. So David's making it very clear. It was sin. That action was sin. What he did, what Bathsheba did, uh, was to commit sin. It is a reality. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, that sin is not passed on from one generation to another as far as the guilt of sin for eternal condemnation. Sometimes we suffer the consequences of other people's sinful choices, but the guilt of sin is not passed on from one generation to another. The reality is there's not a child that has ever, ever been born with the guilt of anyone's sin on that child's soul. And the reality here is this. This passage does not indicate in any way whatsoever that the child is the one that has sinned, that the child is the one that has sinned, the sin is on the part of the mother, and that is a correct translation, when it is made clear that it is the mother who committed the sin. So this is all a part of David making sure that he correctly expresses and adequately and thoroughly expresses the reality that what he has done is evil, sinful, wicked, wrong. It's immoral. It's rebellion against God. But as David talks about this sin that he has committed, he knows that there is something that God requires of him. And that's in verses 16 and 17. Caleb, we're going to read this, talk a little bit about it, and let you make some comments in this regard. David says this, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And so he knows that if he is going to appropriately come back to God, approach God so that he might receive forgiveness from God, there's something God requires from him, and it is a broken spirit. This arrogant assumption that, well, I'll just go sin. It won't really matter. It's not a big deal. God will just forgive me of it is not the idea here at all. In fact, it's the opposite. The idea here is of great humility in recognition of the serious nature of sin. And as one approaches God for forgiveness from sin, there should be this broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. And the word contrite having the idea of a complete collapse, a complete crushing. The heart is completely crushed with the understanding that this sin against God is a very serious matter. Uh, Caleb, you have any comments about the need for a contrite heart 
as we seek forgiveness from God? Um, there's nothing more humbling than having a, a contrite uh, spirit. If you look at uh, Matthew 5, uh, verse 3, the Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you rightly said there is nothing more humbling than having this contrite heart, having a broken spirit, because it shows forgiveness. It shows that you are meaning to change. It shows that you are so regrettably torn and mournful and sorry for what you have done. And David knows it sounds almost as, as someone that is depressed here, and he knows the only one that could mend him is God, and that's why he's appealing to God to not only forgive him, um, but to mend him as well. And like you rightly said, um, with, uh, with, with the word, um, you know, contrite, um, it's to break, it's to crouch, it's something that is sore. And once again, a great example to us. And once we have displayed that contrite heart, um, broken spirit, ask forgiveness, then we show fruits of repentance. And there's no greater a way to show that you are serious about your contrite heart as to show your fruits of repentance. Well, I appreciate, Caleb, the fact that you tied in the contrite heart to repentance because that's exactly where we're going in Second Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. For us to truly repent, there needs to be that contrite spirit, that crushed spirit, that humility that recognizes the serious nature of the sin and a desire to make that change. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, the importance of godly sorrow as it ties into repentance is discussed here. In just a moment, Prashanth, I'd like for you to make some comments on this. Verse 9 says, Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. There is going to be the repentance when there is the godly sorrow. Prashant, do you have any comments? Um, Yes, here Paul is mentioning to Corinthians about the repentance and also how they had that kind of a mind to repent and also they were made sorry but that they are sorrowed to repentance when we see in Acts chapter 2 also those people who heard from Peter on the day of Pentecost they repented and they feel sorry then they ask the uh, question to Peter what we need to do to be saved and also when we see our first John chapter 1 verses uh, 8 to 10, if we say that we have no sin, we deceived ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, we is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this all comes from our repentance. And if we feel sorry about what we have done, what we have sinned in our lives, definitely it produces the true repentance. The true repentance, it is the two words are interconnected the repentance and also feeling sorrow in our heart they deeply pricked in their hearts when we see the word pricked it because of uh, sorrowness so because of that contrariness they want to um, change their mind they want to change their lives from the sin some people they think they cannot change once you've sinned you lost forever always some other people try to mention they are lost they were lost but always we have a hope to come back to the God, come back to the 
um, stage where we were before. So here it is a great example that Paul also mentioned. He was so happy. He was not happy because they are sorrow. He was happy because of their repentance and the soreness they produced because of their repentance. We're going to take a look now at Psalm 130, and we're going to look at the fact that when we approach God's throne, openly confessing our sin before Him, and we do so with a contrite heart that has led us to repentance, we can have confidence. So there's confession, contrition, and now the confidence, the confidence that God will forgive us. Psalm 130 and verse 1, Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. You can see the reverence and the humility of the psalmist here as he asks God to hear him. He pleads with God to hear his prayer. And then he makes this comment, a powerful comment, God, Lord, Jehovah, if you should mark iniquities, if you should hold them against us forever, who shall stand? But the reality is that when we do come to God as those who are his saints in confession and contrition, when we have repented, then we can know this, verse 4, there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. And so this is a beautiful thought, beautiful passage that's showing us here that God does forgive. He is willing to forgive. Ramondo, would you like to comment on that? Yes. Um, this psalm, as you have mentioned, speaks about the, the confidence that um, God is expecting us to not only have in, in his word as Christians with regards to the promises that he has made to us, but the confidence that we should have when we receive forgiveness from God. There are many people who would, uh, you know, would have repented after they would have sinned, but one of the hardest things for them to do is to forgive themselves and to accept the fact that God would have forgiven them. And so even after they would have been forgiven for years, they still have that um, sort of a, a guilty conscience. They're still holding um, the things that they would have done against themselves. And so in this psalm, the, the psalmist is really, you know, explaining to us that there's a certain confidence that we can gain from God when we know that we have truly repented and we have done what is required, that we, we no longer have to be worried about the fact that God is going to hold our sins against us, not that God is going to really, you know, hold us off at a distance. We can come to him boldly, we can come to him with confidence, knowing that um, our sins are no longer separating us from Him. And um, the psalmist here in verse 4, he said, But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. One of the things that many people are sort of hung up on today with regards to Christianity is that, you know, they do not want to serve a God that they would have to fear and all that. However, in this instance, the kind of fear that the psalmist is speaking about is sort of a reverential fear, sort of, sort of respect that we should have for God. Not that God is someone who wants us as his children to be living in fear of him, that he is going to come one day and he's going to hurt us and he's just going to go come and destroy us. If, Of course, if we do not repent of our sins, then that eventually will happen. But for those who would have um, obeyed 
the, the, the commands that God have given and have followed the steps that he would have outlined in his word for us to, to be forgiven, then there is no need for us to be fearful of him in that way. But there is still a need for us to fear him, to, to show him reverence, to show him respect, because God always requires that from us. So as Christians, we can rightly come boldly, as the Hebrew writer said, to the throne of grace and ask for his forgiveness, ask for his mercy, and be confident, be assured that he would have granted that forgiveness and that, that mercy. In just a moment, we're going to take a look at this expression in verse 7, plenteous redemption. I'm going to read this verse, Caleb, and I'd like for you to think about the idea of God's redemption being plenteous. And make comments here in just a moment. Let Israel hope in the Lord. This is Psalm 130 and verse 7. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is plenteous redemption. And so the psalmist is crying out unto God, begging God to hear his prayer, and as he prays unto God, he expresses his gratitude that God does not mark the iniquities, that God does, in fact, show forgiveness. And in that context, he understands that there is forgiveness because God is merciful and because there is plenteous redemption. Caleb, any comments on that? And many people say that there is no grace or mercy in, in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is full of grace and mercy. And uh, we understand grace to be with, that God gives us what we do not deserve. And your mercy, um, God does not give us what we deserve. Um, you know, Romans uh, 3.23 reminds us, you know, that, that all have sinned. And Romans 6.23 reminds us that there's a penalty for that sin. And yet we can be spared from that penalty if we come with that contrite heart. We ask forgiveness. And that is where our confidence lies, in that once we ask forgiveness with that contrite heart, we are forgiven, and we need to be assured that we are forgiven. And so we no longer live that life of sin. And yet at the same time, it's incumbent on us uh, in, in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus teaches him to, to forgive others just as they've been forgiven. And so there's a, a two-way street for us as well, not only rejoice and be confident in the forgiveness, but also live that life of being uh, of being able to forgive others as well. Well, once again, we want to show that these principles carry through into the New Covenant. So 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, back to that verse, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's the confidence. Mm. When we approach God in confession, when we have a contrite heart, when that contrition leads to repentance, we can approach the throne of God then with this confidence, not any confidence in ourselves, but confidence in God, confidence in His mercy and His plenteous or abundant redemption. We can know because of this that we have eternal life, First John chapter 5 and verse 13, and we can know and confidently so that we can receive mercy and grace to help in time of need, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. A Christian may approach the throne of God for restoration. And when he does so, he needs to approach that throne with confession on his tongue and contrition in his heart. And when a wayward Christian approaches God's throne in such a fashion, he can confidently expect to see the loving kindness, tender mercy, plenteous redemption, and abundant grace of God. 
going to touch on a couple more passages very quickly. And then after this, I'm going to uh, go around the table here and allow each of our guests about a minute to kind of wrap up things here. Psalm 25 says this, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And so the psalmist is lifting up his soul in prayer unto God, and there are various things that he is praying for. But consider this, verse 6, Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. And then verse 11 he says, For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. So he is pleading with God for forgiveness. As he does so, though, he recognizes the fact that with God there is tender mercy, loving kindness, and that there is, in fact, an abundance of mercy with God. This is pictured for us in the New Covenant in Luke chapter 15 in the, or in the uh, gospel accounts in Luke chapter 15 with the uh, parable of the lost son. Some would call him the wasteful son or the prodigal son. Here is a son who goes to his father and demands his inheritance, goes away and wastes that inheritance, but he wants to come back not as a son, but as a servant. And the reaction he receives from his father is a reaction in this parable that speaks to the reaction from God when his saints come back to him. That father was looking for the son, and that father ran to embrace the son. And there is a beautiful story here of forgiveness, and that is a picture of the forgiveness that God gives us. So let's go around the table here, and uh, we'll we'll start with Prashant, and uh, see what comments you all well, have. It's a great opportunity to talk about the salvation here today. Uh, when it comes to uh, a situation like David, definitely, like we see, are three points. We need to confess our sins. We need to confess our transgressions. We need to confess our iniquities. And coming to our second point, we need to condition. Uh, uh, there is two sub-points under that. It's a repentance and also a godly sorrow in our heart. And coming to our final point, confidence. Some people, they have a false confidence that they may be forgiven because they were already baptized. But here, our lesson shows that everyone need to go to the throne of God to be forgiven and we need confidence upon God that he is able to forgive our sins. Through Jesus Christ only that we have that opportunity. When we see the example, Paul is uh, writing a letter to Philemon about Onesimus. So he's the man before, now he's changed. Likewise, Jesus is recommending everyone to his father that they are all useful, who confess Jesus Christ as a son of God and who can confess to God and to his throne that we are sinners, definitely we will be forgiven. If you see First John chapter 1, verses 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So everyone need to go to his throne with a humble heart to confess to contrast and also a confidence that we have been forgiven and we can and we will be forgiven through Jesus Christ. Rashawn, thank you for being a part of the Students of the Word podcast.
today. Ramondo, what comments would you like to wrap up with? Yes, um, as we wrap up um, our discussion on um, the idea of contrition, confession, and confidence with regards to, to David and, and what he went through, and uh, not only regards to him, but regards to, to us today as Christians. First of all, you know, contrition is, as you mentioned, having a broken heart, being sincerely sorry for what we would have done, um, turning away from, from our sins and turning towards God. And God is always looking forward to all his children who will um, come to him with a contrite heart. And so if, you know, there is a Christian who would have fallen away from grace, who would have gone away from God's love and from, you know, among his people, um, there's no need for that person to be fearful of returning to him because he's always looking and expecting us to return to him. With regards to our confession, you know, confession is good in many ways. It's good for, you know, us to look into ourselves. It's good for us to be able to allow God to be a part or to, you know, share in the struggles that we face. But it's also good because it's something that God requires of us. And if we fail to confess to him what we would have done, then he would not be able to, to help us because it's through what he would, through his commands, that we receive the forgiveness that he has provided for us. In regards to confidence, as the prodigal son was you know, away in the far country and uh, he was there living a, a degraded form of life and he was thinking to himself and then he decided that he would go back home to his father. This is the sort of confidence that we should have. In fact, he knew that his, his father was a good man and so he had confidence in going back home. And if we can have that same confidence in God, then there should be no need for us to be worried about returning to him. And not only for those who would have left the church or would have fallen away from grace, but even for us as Christians, at times when we sin, um, we should never lose sight of the fact that God is always uh, willing to forgive us and extend that, that hand of fellowship with us again. Ramondo, thank you so much for being on the Students of the Word podcast. Caleb, what would you like to say in wrapping things up? If there are any listeners out there that uh, are not confident that you have been forgiven, uh, know that once you've asked forgiveness with, uh, in the same manner as been mentioned on this show, and know, be confident, if you have not obeyed the gospel, uh, there is forgiveness uh, in Jesus Christ. Well, we appreciate uh, you being on the show uh, today, Caleb, and we appreciate all of you, Prashant, Armando, Caleb, for sitting in on our panel today. Uh, we appreciate those that have been listening in to this podcast. Here in the studio of the Memphis School of Preaching, I'm Kevin with Prashant, Ramondo, and Caleb. And don't forget this, God loves you, and you are important to Him, and we hope you have a great day. <laughs>